we bring on resiliency expert, Dr. Steven Sidoroff. people that I see have a beautiful loyalty to their parents. You know, they love their parents, so how can they be angry at someone that they love? And that's how they start the, another way that they push down their feelings because it challenges their loyalty to their parents or to their parents' belief system. And so this is the process, it's one, making the decision to face difficult emotions, difficult choices, difficult decisions. Number two, to be accepting of whatever emotions we have. So I can love my mother, I could love my father, and I could still be angry at them. And so it's recognizing that you can carry both of those love and anger together so that you can deal with the anger. It's about a willingness to grow up. What goes along with growing up? Taking responsibility for your life. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Thank you for pressing play today. I'm your host, Ben Azadi. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. I'm excited to welcome to the show Dr. Steven Sidoroff, who has a book titled The Path, Mastering the Nine Pillars of Resilience and Success. We get into the different types of stress, which is considered this hormetic response, or it could be a problematic response from stress, we get into why Dr. Sidoroff decided to dedicate his research to resilience and understanding how that works. We get into the nervous system, the parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system, and why that's important to understand and a good place to start when understanding how to become more resilient. We talk about the environment and how our childhood will affect our resilience. The subconscious mind, the conscious mind, the daily thoughts we have every single day, we unpack the unconscious mind to live a happier, healthier life and discuss the role of paradigms. We discuss his nine pillars from the importance of the right relationships in your life to the autonomic dysregulation syndrome and how that affects the process of aging. And then we discuss his resilience assessment booklet and his book, The Path, and also the connection between heart rate variability, what that even means, and gratitude and how gratitude could shift you into a parasympathetic healing state. You're going to love this episode. It is super valuable. We're going to drop links for his book, his website, his social media, 
down below in the podcast notes. Before I bring them on, I want to take a minute to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Firesign76, titled Straightforward and Easy to Listen to. I love this Keto Camp podcast for many reasons, but mostly because I don't have to fast forward through any BS, conversations, or chit-chat. The information is straightforward and gets to the point, and it's easy to understand. The speaker, I'm, which is me, knows what he is talking about and how to get his knowledge across to his audience. I learn something new every time I listen, and I've been doing keto off and on for years. Thank you so much for your hard work. Firesign, thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you appreciate our no BS approach and our valuable guest. We're going to continue doing it. And if you want to contribute to the cause, all you need to do is leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review. That would help us tremendously. Okay, let's discuss making you more resilient with Dr. Steven Sidoroff. Dr. Steven Sidoroff is an internationally recognized expert in resilience, optimal performance, addiction, neurofeedback, and alternative approaches to stress and mental health. He is Associate Professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences with a joint appointment in the Department of Rheumatology at UCLA's School of Medicine, as well as a director of the Raoul Wallenberg Institute of Ethics. For over 40 years, Dr. Sidoroff has been passionate about studying and understanding resilience and optimal performance. He has developed and established innovative models, which we're going to discuss, of behavior and treatment approaches for restoring physical, emotional, and mental balance and effectiveness all across the world. Here's Dr. Stephen Sidoroff. Dr. Stephen Sidoroff, thank you so much for joining me on the Keto Camp podcast today. It's my pleasure, Ben. Good to be here. I want to first and foremost recognize Dr. Robert Lufkin, who connected us and said, hey, I think this would be a great fit. And I think he's right. As I was studying and getting ready for this interview, I just love the work that you're doing. And I want to dive into your new book. I want to talk about parasympathetic versus the sympathetic nervous system, what stress does to your immune system and all that good stuff. But before we do, why did you get involved with this space? Like, What's your backstory, Doc? Why did you want to dedicate your life to resilience? When I started in graduate school, I was very much interested in, in uncovering the, me- the brain mechanisms of learning and memory. I had the good fortune to work with a lot of really brilliant people, and I was really interested in finding the connections in the brain and started my, my career as a brain researcher. But very quickly, I realized that when you're working with animals, you can't ask them what they are feeling. And I wanted to know what the people that I who I was working with, what was going on inside of them. And so I switched into clinical work. When I switched into clinical work, the first thing that was obvious to me is that a person could be doing really well in their lives, coping, handling, but as they had more and more stress in their lives, their coping abilities would begin to break down. Their handling of situations would become more difficult. This was true for individuals. It was true for relationships. It was true for organizations. So that led me into my research and work in the area of stress. 
I started doing uh, stress management workshops for organizations, corporations, and it would be very interesting. I'd give a, a workshop and people would come up to me and say, that was great. I'm going to go right out and I'm going to make this change and do this and do that. And very enthusiastic. And then I would follow up a few months later and I would discover that very few of them actually followed through. And that's when I began to identify all the reasons why we have great resistance to managing our stress. And I spent a lot of time and wrote a number of articles specifically on people's resistance to managing stress, which seems contradictory. But stress is not just a negative. It's, a, it's a, an important aspect of our lives. It's also a very positive. And so one of my mentors, uh, Donald Hebb at McGill University in Montreal, uh, was one of the pioneers in neuroscience, and he coined the phrase, neurons that fire together, wire together. That was his phrase, and we had many discussions on, on the subject. And so when you think about our, your life and you think about all the successes in your life, Ben, you'll realize that almost all of them have been associated with stress. If you're going to have an important meeting that's uh, of value to you, typically it's a stressful meeting. If you have a deadline for a project, it's stressful. And so in our lives, all of our successes have been paired with stress. And so neurons that fire together, wire together, we're, we're wired to actually go for stress. So I wanted to come up with a, um, a concept that doesn't have this kind of conflictual, we don't have this conflictual relationship with, which we do with stress, but we don't with resilience. Everybody wants to be more resilient. Resilience is a positive concept that merges with how you deal with stress. So you're born, you're thrown into the ocean, so to speak, the ocean of life, and the ocean of life has all these waves of stress. And so you want to learn how to surf the waves and not get battered by the waves. And so that's where I kind of began working in the area of resilience. I love that analogy of the waves. Yeah, I want to ride those waves. I don't want to get bashed by it. So I, I want to know, when people hear that word resilience, I, I want to know your definition of that word resilience. And then secondly, the second question to that is, there is a, you know, the term hormesis, which is a, a hormetic stress, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'd love for you to kind of get into that you stress and distinguish between when stress is too much, and it's actually bad for you versus a good amount that actually makes you stronger. So the first question is on resilience, and then let's get into hormesis after that. Okay, sure. So when we think about resilience, most of the time we think about the ability to bounce back, to recover after a stressful event. And in my model of resilience, that's an important part of it, but it's not the entire picture. For example, if, if I had a difficult childhood and uh, a dangerous childhood, you know, and a lot of us have had dangerous childhoods where there's been abuse, where there's been uncertainty, et cetera. We come to view life and the world as dangerous. 
when you view the world as dangerous, you grow up expecting a problem. You wake up in the morning. One of the questions I ask people is when you wake up in the morning, are you looking for what can go right or what can go wrong? Great question to ask. And for a lot of people, we anticipate danger. Mm. Well, what happens when you anticipate danger? Your body mobilizes for that danger. And the only way your body knows how to mobilize, which is preparing to either fight the danger or to run from the danger, our fight or flight response. Now, this gets us into, we can, we can go into it right now with the, the whole notion of the mind-body connection, how emotions, thinking relate to physical responses in our bodies, because when we are always anticipating danger, we are continually mobilizing our stress response, the sympathetic branch of our nervous system. And so it's good if you can recover from stress, but if you're continually activating your nervous system in preparation for danger, you're not giving your body the opportunity to fully recover, to keep the two branches of your nervous system, the stress branch and the recovery branch in balance, okay? And when that happens, we then develop all kinds of problems. And so it's a, the ability to bounce back is part of resilience, but we also have to deal with the lessons of childhood how we adapted to our childhood environment, which may not serve us as adults, so that we keep the nervous system in a better place of balance. So that broadens my concept of resilience to really optimal functioning, most effective functioning, most efficient functioning. And that's the broader context of my model of resilience. It's a great explanation of it. I, I love that definition of your your context of resilience. And I think we all want that. We all want to make sure we're getting a healthy balance of both parasympathetic and sympathetic, because they both could be great if you could balance them out. And you teach how to do that. And we'll kind of go into your nine pillars as well. But I, I want to know where the mind plays here, right? We have the conscious mind, the subconscious mind. And we know this, that 90% plus of what's running the show is that subconscious mind. And it's pretty much the software that was downloaded into our hardware during the first seven years, to your point, our relationship experiences, teachers, parents, et cetera. And I understand now through my research of uh, Bob Proctor, who I actually have right here, one of my mentors who recently passed away, that the mind is not necessarily a thing or, or the brain. A lot of people think the mind is the brain, but it's more of an activity. I'd love to hear your thoughts and what role does the subconscious and conscious mind play with what you're speaking about here? Yeah, certainly, certainly. So I have written about what I refer to as our primitive gestalt patterns. Mm -hmm. And our primitive gestalt patterns are the ways that our brain develops throughout childhood based on the lessons of our childhood environment. So our brain literally forms its circuitry based on those lessons. And once that happens, those become the patterns of our life. We can say that we adapt to our childhood environment, but then our adaptation gets locked in because 
the neural circuitry forms based on those lessons. So we grow up and we have difficulty fully adapting to our adult, our current environment, because we, our adaptation to some degree freezes to our childhood environment. Mm -hmm. So if it was dangerous, we as adults, we continue to think the world is just as dangerous. If we can't rely on a parent, we find it difficult to rely on other people, thus, again, always staying in that tense state. Okay. So it's interesting, you know, the concept thinking outside the box, right? And creativity is being able to think outside the box. But I can apply that concept to what I'm talking about here because we get locked into the box of our childhood lessons. And so resilience is about being able to think outside that box and adapting to our current environment. Okay. Now, we talk about the unconscious, but a lot of the consequences, the learning, the conditioning of our childhood um, is not something that we're always conscious about. Mm -hmm. okay? For example, two of the important consequences of our childhood are that feelings that are engaged in our childhood that are uncomfortable, we find ways to not notice and push down. Okay? They don't go away. They stay inside as excess baggage that we carry around, those emotions that aren't dealt with. So one consequence is that we have feelings that are in our bodies that we're unconscious of from childhood events, but play a role in our lives. Would this be, some people call trapped emotions? Is that what you're referring to? Yes, right. Anger, sadness, sense of loss, all these things. The other thing from our childhood that we carry around are unmet needs. Hmm. So if we didn't get the love, the attention, the acceptance, the approval that we needed and that all of us deserve, we grow up carrying those needs, but again, unconsciously. So the person that's that's worth a couple million dollars, but is still driving themselves to earn more money, they're unconsciously trying to compensate for emotional needs that never were met. And they will continue to struggle until they realize what the real unmet needs are. So uh, in terms of unconsciousness, it's important as part of the resilience mind resilience model to address these unconscious needs to make them conscious because it's only when you make them conscious can you actively address them mm -hmm. that's fascinating and i, I want to know some of your tips to become aware of these paradigms these, these habits that are just going on autopilot hey keto camper i want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health on this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called good idea, and it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. 
I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. I see this happening, of course, in my life, but I also see it like the friends and family. And the more I work on myself and understand me more, become more aware, the more I see it in other people. There's a great quote speaking of this, right? Because a lot of people are not really thinking and mental activity doesn't necessarily mean you're creating an original thought and thinking. Uh, but I remember Earl Nightingale, he said, 2% of the population think, 3% of the population think they think, and 95% of the population would rather die than think. <laughs> so they are kind of, they don't want to do the work. So I want to know, how do you do the work? How do you find out what's going on subconsciously, unconsciously, unpack that so you can live a more healthier, happier life? Yes, yes. And by the way, I loved Earl Nightingale. He was yeah, great. So good. He, was, he had some good things to say. Yeah. Agreed. I love him. Yeah. Um, well, first, there needs to be a conscious decision. So we are all, to a great degree, unconscious. We could, we could say that in many different ways. We could say we, we have a veil in front of our eyes that gets in the way of seeing things clearly. Um, we, have, we push down our feelings. And as children, it's actually a good idea to push them down. Because, and we have these defense mechanisms that, um, that do this, that allow us to do this, because as children, we don't have the capacity to fully deal with the feelings that are present. If we were to really acknowledge that a mother or father is not capable of meeting our needs, that would result in us being hopeless. Wow. You know, I'm never going to get it. They're not capable. So instead, we either push that down or we turn the upset and anger back on ourselves. We blame ourselves. Well, maybe if I did it better, then I would get my needs met. Maybe if I figured out a different way, then my parents will meet my needs, will love me, will be approving and accepting of me. So it's a way actually of getting through childhood because now there, there may be something that I could do about it. Unfortunately, no, there isn't. If they're incapable, no matter what you do, they're going to still be incapable. But what it does do is cause many of us to blame ourselves cause many of us to feel inadequate, inadequate because our parents are not meeting our needs, okay? But it's the way we get through our childhood. And it leaves us with different kinds of emotional baggage, emotional wounds, okay? So to become resilient, to address this, the first step is a willingness to face difficult 
feelings, difficult emotions, difficult issues. A lot of people that I see have a beautiful loyalty to their parents. You know, they love their parents, so how can they be angry at someone that they love? And that's how they start the another way that they push down their feelings because it challenges their loyalty to their parents or to their parents' belief system. And so this is the process. It's one, making the decision to face difficult emotions, difficult choices, difficult decisions. Number two, to be accepting of whatever emotions we have. So I can love my mother, I could love my father, and I could still be angry at them. And so it's recognizing that you can carry both of those love and anger together so that you can deal with the anger. It's about a willingness to grow up. What goes along with growing up? Taking responsibility for your life. A lot of people have difficulty owning their lives, owning that. Now, part of the problem, and you know, one of the things that I've done over my years is I, I spent about 15 years working with a shaman from South America. And it opened up a whole other world to me about how things work, how the universe works, so to, so to speak. And it also shows me some of the lessons of indigenous cultures, because one of the things that happens in indigenous cultures is a, it are rituals that help what we call the transfer of power. So as you transition from a child to an adult, there are rituals that you go through, going out for a vision quest, group rituals that help the community give those growing up a sense of power in their lives. In our culture, that doesn't happen. In fact, much of the time in our culture, parents hold on to power because of their own insecurities. So children grow up without that permission to be an adult given to them by their, by their parents. So true. That's one of the things we have to do for ourselves or with a coach or with a therapist is realize that we can grow up. We can own our power. A lot of people have difficulty owning their power, taking in their successes that give them this emotional nurturing and nourishment to help them grow. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Let's get into your nine pillars. Was that explanation, you know, willingness to face it and being making a conscious decision, was that part of the first pillar or, or was that just a different conversation? It, it goes across all my nine pillars, actually, the concepts that I've been giving you thus far. So let's start with the first one. What's the first pillar primarily focused on? So there are nine pillars. The first three have to do with relationship. And what is the most important relationship we have? You know, we, we, we might think about our partner, our child, our parent, but the most important relationship, the one that you're with 24-7, is your relationship with yourself. And so this first pillar is, is your relationship conflictual? Are you 
very critical and judgmental of yourself? Do you put yourself down? Or are you loving, accepting, and compassionate toward yourself, which is the healthy approach? And so that's the first pillar is beginning to recognize how you treat yourself and then comparing that to the healthy or ideal way of treating yourself. And you can do that by just becoming consciously aware of your thoughts that you're having throughout the day. Like what are the, what's the conversation you're having with yourself? Is that a way to kind of assess that? Right. So one of the things I talk about in my book is stalking your pattern. How do you notice the places where you're not serving yourself or where you need to grow, develop? And one of the ways is by stalking your pattern. And I go into this in my book about how to actually pay attention and notice all of these things. So that, that's part of it, as well as knowing what the ideal is, what you're trying to achieve. The second pillar uh, is your relationship with others. Are you able to distinguish healthy relationships from unhealthy relationships, ones that serve you, that nurture you and support you versus ones that are toxic, that create pain, that kind of bring you down? So it's being able to discriminate those two. It's being able to decide, I want the healthy relationships, and then setting limits on other relationships. There's some negative relationships we don't have control over, such as uh, a boss that may not be a good person. How do you deal with that? How do you be in a relationship like that that you must be in without absorbing any of that negative energy, setting appropriate boundaries? That's the second. The third pillar is relationship with something greater. So this extends to the community at large. And this is having spiritual beliefs. This is having meaning and purpose in your life. And it's giving service. Ways that if you're blessed in certain ways, it's about you having the consciousness to give back and keep the energy moving. When you are good with the third, this third pillar, it minimizes daily hassles because you have a broader horizon to your life. The next three areas have to do with organismic balance and mastery. So the fourth pillar is physical balance and mastery. When we think about stress management, this is the pillar that we usually think about. That means uh, being able to go to a deep place of calm, having some physiological control over your body, keeping the two branches of your nervous system in balance, recovering after stressful events. A lot of us will engage in a stressful event and then it's over, but we forget or we don't pay attention to then calming our bodies down, to then reminding ourselves, okay, we're now safe. And so we engage in a stressful encounter but then we keep our guard up after, long after it's necessary. So it's about being able to say to yourself, right now I'm safe, I can let down my guard. Okay. So four is physical balance and mastery. The next pillar is mental or cognitive balance and mastery. And this is about having a positive perspective. This is about having 
control over your thoughts. So when you go to sleep at night, you're able to turn off and go to sleep and not have your brain, your mind going and not being able to turn it off. So it's able to switch when something bad is going on and it's over. Again, being able to switch and let go of the negative so you can again return to having a positive focus. If something is happening in the future, which may have some potential negative consequences, it's about being able to plan for those consequences, but then letting go of that and focusing on the positive consequences. So it's mental control. It's also about experiencing uh, situations as challenges rather than problems. And this was a question you asked earlier about how engaging in stressful, difficult situations can actually add to our sense of resilience. Okay. So ironically, it's the things that we are afraid of that make us uncomfortable that are our greatest potential sources of learning, developing, and resilience. That could be a general principle. If something is a challenge, that's where your greatest learning will take place. If something is uncomfortable, that's where your greatest learning will take place. And so resilience is about having the courage to engage in those situations. And I, I heard a, a quote from actually from Nelson Mandela, who, who said, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to engage and move forward in spite of the fear, to conquer the fear. There you go, resilience right there. Right, right. Yeah, so everything about resilience, it's not, we're not born with it, we develop it. Okay, the sixth pillar is emotional balance and mastery. And here is where we get to be aware of feelings that we haven't dealt with and finding ways to deal with them and resolve them. Okay. And so a lot of times we hold on to angry feelings because we feel like, well, I can't go to that person and, and be angry with them. They will get angry back at me. They will reject me, etc. The good news is that you don't need anybody else to address your emotional unfinished business because what's unfinished is simply what you have that you're carrying in your body and you have to find a way of releasing it. So that's why we can address unfinished business we have with someone who's no longer in our lives, uh, with a parent who's passed away because it's, it's us finding a way to get the feelings out and the, the secret here is within the context of acceptance, okay? If you're angry at someone because they don't pay attention to you, they don't listen to you, and you express that anger, and then they continue to not pay attention or listen to you, if you don't accept that this is who that person is and they're not going to change, you're going to keep getting frustrated and angry and it'll be a never-ending cycle. So part of the process is to accept that that person won't necessarily change, but I still need to resolve what's sitting in my body. 
Mm-hmm. And then you can decide if you want to continue to have a relationship with them or not. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. Uh, the last three have to do with how we engage in the world. So the seventh is presence. And most people think about presence as, okay, I'm present. I notice my surroundings. I notice what's going on. And that's, in my model, that's one half of presence, what we take in. And the other half of presence is what we project out, our presence, how we, what, how we bring ourselves to an encounter. What is the expression on my face? Do I look scared? Do I look anxious, nervous? Or am I fully present and engaging with the encounter? Posture. All of this, how I project out, is an important part of presence. The eighth is flexibility. Flexibility means being able to make adjustments when there are obstacles in my path. And so the last couple of years, this has been a very important component of my model because a lot of our paths have been thwarted due to the pandemic. And so how do we make adjustments to still get satisfied, to still achieve success? So that's eight. And finally, the ninth, my ninth pillar is power, which I define as the ability to get things done. And usually when people think about success and, and power, this is what they think about, being able to accomplish, to achieve. And for me, this ninth pillar sits on top of all the rest. Okay, Because you want to have the broad uh, sense of self to achieve your goals. So power is having courage, persistence, perseverance, being willing to make mistakes, being willing to be uncomfortable. All of those go into my ninth pillar. And when you're successful, you are feeling more confidence in yourself. And the result is that fewer situations will be stressful to you. Again, resilience. I love how all of that's tied together. And you're right. Number nine defined as, you know, power defined as the ability to get things done. It's really the application that, that really changes things. It's not the information. If information changed our lives then every librarian would be a multimillionaire, right? It's the application of the right information, information. So nothing changes until you actually create that change and take action, which is your number nine. I've noticed a lot of people have issues with caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects It makes you more dependent on the caffeine and it puts you in this sympathetic fight or flight state. And for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday Dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about Everyday Dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee, and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really 
good way when I have everyday dose versus regular coffee. And I want you to experience the same. So if you want to check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five on the go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find, first of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com slash ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. I want to go back to a, a couple of these tips that you gave here. Number three, relationship with something greater. It could be religious, spiritual, you know, meaning service. That's so important. I, I, I love that and that you speak about that, having a purpose and living on purpose with, with your purpose. There was a book I remember that came out in 1988, Dr. Larry Dossie, medical doctor. In the, it's called yes, Recovering. Yes. You know, do you know his work? Yes. Yeah. yes. In that book, um, there was a, it's called Recovering the Soul. And in that book, there was a study that showed they were looking at, they were predicting when people have their first heart attack in America and they found that they could predict 85% of the time when people have their first heart attack is between Monday morning, 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. from people who are stressed out on their way to work. 85% of the time, at least in the 80s. So this is to your point, what stress does to us when you're not living on purpose with your purpose. So it fits right in with your work, Doc. Right. Yes. And some of my colleagues and I have proposed a actual diagnostic code, which we call autonomic dysregulation syndrome. And we suggest that 70 to 80% of visits to the doctor's office are the result of this autonomic dysregulation syndrome that underlies whether you have headaches, whether you have high blood pressure, whether you have autoimmune disease, all of it originates in the dysregulation of your nervous system because of difficulty managing, handling stress and not being resilient. And that if we want to take a look at the primary concept that we're talking about, it has to do with longevity, it has to do with aging. And we now have direct evidence that stress speeds up the aging process. And so some have suggested that all disease, all illness is simply an expression of the aging process. So I will propose that resilience is literally one way of slowing down the aging process. So there are now ways that you can actually, you can actually assess your biological age. Okay. You're familiar with that? Yeah, telomeres, methylation, yeah, there's different ways to do it, yep. Right, and so I put this to the test about my resilience program. Oh, cool, what, 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 what did you get? Let's see. So, yes, yeah, so I did one of these methylation tests recently, and last week I turned 75. Happy birthday. Thank you. And my biological age came out as 55. Wow, 20 years younger, that... Yeah, live it to lead it. That's amazing, Doc. And so that is based on, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. My model of resilience is based on the lessons that I've learned and that I follow. And so 
it's a validation. I call it a, a one case example validation of my model. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. You know, 20 years younger. I mean, people would pay a lot of money to be 20 years younger at the cellular level. And you're living proof that you can do that. And your your hypothesis is right on. I would put my money on that hypothesis that this is a big part of it. I, I remember when, when I interviewed um, Dr. Bruce Lipton a couple years ago, actually one year ago, he was referring to what stress does to the immune system and how stress is actually used therapeutically to wipe out the immune system. And he gave the example of somebody going through a, a kidney transplant procedure. The surgeon who's about to perform that procedure will inject the patient with stress hormones. Why? Because it, it completely wipes out their immune system. So when they perform that procedure, it could the body could accept this foreign object was which is the kidney and that's exactly what stress is doing to us so this is essential i know that my podcast for those listening or watching is more keto and intermittent fasting but we have to have this conversation because this is foundational i always say you got to really master that stress and make sure you're getting a good balance so what your work that you're doing plugs into any dietary philosophy people follow any schedule and it, in fact if you don't have this dialed in all the stuff you're doing is not going to work to the extent that you want it to work. Would you agree with that statement? Completely. I completely agree. These work hand in hand in hand. And, you know, the, the person who connected us, Rob Lufkin, a, a good friend and colleague. So he's got the, the metabolic side covered and I have the psychological, emotional, mental side covered. And you need both of them for optimal functioning. Amen. I always say that. I agree. Inner size and exercise, all of that's important. I, I, I want to stay on this topic a little bit more because we have a few more minutes here. So I'm looking at your pillars here. I love the idea of being flexible and adjusting to obstacles that come your way. That's a great, especially in the last two years. I mean, we need that flexibility. But my question to you is this, and I think somebody who's listening or watching might be thinking the same thing. So I'm going to ask the question for them. Yeah, it's, you know, we could become aware and, you know, we could feel like something's off. Maybe we get a headache here and there. But what are some actual things we can do to kind of get some some metrics? The telomere, the methylation test, that's one thing. But is there a lab work can, that we can do? Can we look at blood pressure, glucose? Like what are some values we can get that we can monitor and track our progress from a physiological standpoint? Sure. So uh, the first point I want to mention, Ben, is that when you have a headache, when you have a symptom... You, there's a healthy way to approach that and is to experience that as a signal to you that you're out of balance in some way. So you use the symptom as a motivation to, to look further into it. Love that. That's the first thing. So I actually have a 40 item questionnaire that a person can take and they can self score. And with that, they can get their resilience profile along my nine pillars of resilience. They can find that, uh, it's called my resilience assessment booklet. They can find that on my website, drstephensideroff.com. We'll put a link down below for everybody. drstephensideroff.com, we'll put that link down below. Okay, so now when they go to my website, at one of the parts of the banner at the top is a resilience challenge. So this is a quick test with nine questions that gives them an overall. But on my website, they can also find my booklet where they have the, uh, the description of my model. 
as well as the nine pillars, and they could take this 40-item questionnaire. So I would really recommend people go there and, and check that out and, and get that. Also in the banner is a new program that I will be starting in April that sends out daily messages of being more resilient. And it's a way for someone to, on a daily basis, focus on improving their uh, resilience. So those are a couple of things that I recommend, as well as my book, which is called The Path, Mastering the Nine Pillars of Resilience and Success, which is on Amazon. And the whole notion of the path is that most people get overwhelmed when they think of all the things they need to do to become more resilient to deal with their stress. I have to practice relaxing. It's like the patient that goes to the doctor because of stress and the doctor says, well, you're going to have to stop smoking. You're going to have to stop drinking. You're going to have to get to bed earlier. And the patient walks out saying, I got to get a new doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and so the notion of the path is that as long as you take a step that puts you on the path and you don't have to worry about all the things yet to be done because you can only do one thing at a time. And it helps people feel less overwhelmed by all that they need to do because they are on the path when they do one or two things. And my book takes them step by step through that process. Love that. We're going to put a link for the Amazon link for your book, The Path, down below. If you're on YouTube, you can see the book's right behind uh, Dr. Steven right now. It's a beautiful cover of uh, the sun and the, the path leading there. That's awesome. And if you're enjoying the conversation, this is the, the book that kind of goes deeper for you to apply what you're learning here today, because we already discussed that it's not just hearing the information, it's really understanding it and applying it. And by getting your book, doing the assessment, all of that will help the, the person uh, do number nine, which is power the ability to get things done. That is the definition of excellence to me. The, the definition of excellence is giving yourself a command and completing it. And that's the power. You do the thing, you have the power. I want to finish the conversation on my favorite area of healing. I was just in Las Vegas lecturing on this two weeks ago. And uh, I call it vitamin G. And you're going to know what I'm talking about, Doc, in a second. But vitamin G which uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza has done brain scans and he's seen 1,200 chemical reactions go on instantaneously when somebody takes this vitamin, which puts the body in a restorative parasympathetic state. And I'm referring to gratitude, right? Um, so what yes. role does vitamin G gratitude play in this healing process on the path towards uh, health and longevity? So yes, I totally agree with you. And this also links in to our physiology, actually. One of the things that I do is called biofeedback, where you can monitor your aspects of your physiology, feedback back to an individual so that they can literally learn to control aspects of their physiology. And one of the things that I look at is called heart rate variability. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. I track mine with my aura ring. Yes, yes, good, good. So heart rate variability uh, takes a look at your heart rate variability pattern. Most people think, oh, okay, I'm my heart rate's at 60 or my heart rate's at 70. But in fact, it's never on a constant level. In fact, if it is constant, that's an actual sign of unhealth. 
you better get to the hospital. That's, yeah, that's a bad sign. Right. So you want to have this heart rate change in a very systematic way, which links your cardiovascular system, your nervous system, your respiratory system, and your emotions. And so optimally, as you breathe in, your heart rate speeds up because you're activating the sympathetic branch of your nervous system. When you exhale, you activate the parasympathetic. And that, the more you can get into this sinusoidal rhythm, that's optimal health. And you could do biofeedback to train that. And one of the things that facilitates optimal heart rate variability is gratitude, positive emotions. Positive emotions facilitate that. On the other hand, frustration, anger causes this to go into a chaotic pattern. Direct connection between emotions and our physiology. So gratitude is a beautiful way of helping your body go into this place of balance. Yeah, I love that. A great explanation. Uh, what you appreciate appreciates. It's a universal law. HRV is so important for everybody to go and see what their HRV is. Now, there's a genetic component to it. I think, and you could let me know if you agree with this, Doc. I think it's important to get your baseline HRV and find out what that is. Get an average of maybe like 14 days and then work on improving that heart rate variability average each night. So for me, a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, I was getting 38, 42, 44. So it was around the lower 40s. Now, you know, I've been doing more gratitude, more parasympathetic, a lot of the things we spoke about, and I'm getting 65, 70. And my average now is around 65. So my goal is to continuously improve that HRV. But here's something interesting, Doc. My fiance, right? Her average HRV is around 170, 180. And I think there's a genetic component to that. But what do you think about that heart rate variability? Well, she's doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess she is. But I think I think that's a, a genetic part, too, uh, as well. Yes, I, I agree, because typically nothing comes easy. And if yours is is high to start out with, then that's probably not the system in your body that's being most affected by stress. So you want to find your weak link in all of this and strengthen your weak link. But if it's, if it's high to begin with, then that's a plus. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point there. Yeah, I hope everybody you know, goes and gets your book. Your website is drstevensideroff.com. We'll put the link down below for you to get that. Do the quiz, the 40-item questionnaire resilience profile, and then go get uh, Dr. Stevens' book, Mastering the Nine Pillars of Resilience and Success, which is called The Path. We'll drop a link for you down below. Doc, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. I really yeah. enjoyed this conversation. I think it's so important, and we need to have more conversations like this. And I acknowledge you for your 75 years of work and your 55-year-old <laughs> cellular age and all the things that you're doing is just tremendous, and I well, really enjoyed today. that's what today. others can anticipate if they follow the resilience program. That's a good sell because everybody wants that. They want to reverse their aging and you could actually do that at the cellular level. You could Benjamin Button yourself. So follow Dr. Stevens' work and you can do that. So thank you so much, Doc, for coming on the show today. You're very welcome, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Good questions. And on my website, there's also a free audio relaxation exercise if people want to get that. 
Yeah, get that for sure. So thank you, Doc. We'll put a link for that down below as well. Good to talk with you. I hope you enjoyed that resiliency conversation with Dr. Steven Sidoroff. Go get his book. We'll drop a link down below. His website is drstevensitteroff.com, which we'll drop a link down below. Go do his 40-item questionnaire, which is that resiliency profile to understand a little bit more about your resiliency level, whether it's high or low. Go check out his social media. We'll drop all of that down below and go get his book. That is an awesome book. I think it'll make a big difference for you. If this conversation was useful and helpful and valuable, please share it with a friend, copy and paste the link in a text message. Please consider leaving the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review. Everything can be found that we mentioned in the podcast notes down below. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am super grateful for you, and I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.